Hi there, you're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Amen. Hey, uh, it's great to have Brian Harris with us this morning. Brian's going to be continuing our series on encountering, on encountering Jesus in John's Gospel. Um, it's always good to have you with us, Brian. Brian's our pastor at large. Uh, he, he's actually the only pastor at Kerry that knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> the rest of us are newbies. Um, but it's great to have you with us, Brian. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. John writes this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jew- Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth Esther, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well, sir? Sir, do you, sorry, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders, but it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, thanks, Mark, and very nice to be with you today. And uh, I imagine I can see that you're asking two questions. So question number one, so why is he wearing shorts when he's preaching? And question number two, why has he got all this great plaster over his leg? Uh, So let me try and solve the mystery for you. A couple of weeks back, uh, had a little skin cancer which had to be removed, not not one of the big ugly ones, so nothing too serious. But because of its location, very close to the the shin, I had to do a skin graft, and skin grafts are very sensitive, so... 
doctor, when he basically said, you know, I had to recover, he said, remember, you've got to be the BBC, a bed, bathroom, chair is all that you're allowed uh, for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, and, and he said, make sure that your bed is close to your bathroom as well, because you mustn't walk, mustn't do anything very much. And uh, that was, to be honest, a little bit of a trial because it meant for roughly two weeks I just had to lie in bed or be in a chair with my kind of leg up so that the skin graft would take. Uh, and uh, if you were to say to me, was there one consoling part of that? And the answer was yes, because my wonderful wife Rosemary said, well, because you can't walk, uh, I'll give you this little bell. And, uh, you know, if ever you need me, just ring it and uh, I'll come along. And like, I would just ring the bell, tingling, 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 and there should be, you know, yes, dear, cup of tea, dear, a piece of cake, dear, what, what it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, except that most days she went to work and she said, ring your bell as much as you like. I'm not going to be back. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've had the same experience? You want the bell? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I can understand that. Who, who wouldn't? So, so there is actually a really very positive part that, that's come from this. But hey, that's actually all just a long way around of saying, if you go to this passage that we're working from today, John chapter 5, um, you, we, 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 whenever I've preached from it before, I've kind of picked up on the strange question that Jesus asked to this man. So, so here's a man, 38 years, he's been lame, paralyzed, uh, longing for a miracle of sort, but it's never actually happened. And Jesus goes and asks this really strange question, do you want to be made well? And you say, well, I mean, like, seriously stupid question. I mean, of course he wants to be made well. Who wouldn't want to be made well after 38 years? Ah, oh, no, no, actually, that's the point. After 38 years, after 38 years of kind of being able to just ring your bell, have everyone kind of running around you, everyone feeling sorry for you, everyone doing everything for you, this man was going to face some pretty significant changes. And so usually when I preach from this passage, I've said, uh, you know, we often say that we want some things, but do we really want them? And, you know, think about the change that it actually means for us. And are we willing for Jesus to make us well again? Because if, if Jesus makes us well again, then we've got to stop kind of relying on everyone else. And we've got to say, you, you give me the freedom that I actually need, Jesus. Now, I think that that's a very valid way to, to read this passage. But I'm wanting today to look at it from just a slightly different perspective. And the perspective of the way in which God brings order and chaos into our life. And this little dance that you find in scripture between order and chaos. Order and chaos. What, what, what do I mean? You know, right through scripture, you find a fine interacting line between order and chaos. When there's too much order, it's like God tips us into chaos. When there's too much chaos, God brings order out of it. And you see it right in the opening chapter of the Bible. So, so Genesis chapter 1, what does God do? We're told that the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep, and he looks and there's like nothing there. And, and the very first day, what, what, what's the action of God? God starts to bring some order. He separates light from darkness. And so there's a little bit of order there. Day number two, what does God do? Uh, he separates uh, the sky from the sea, and so there's a little bit of order that comes there. Day number three, what does God do? God separates the dry land from the sea, so a little bit of order comes there. Day number four, what does God do? Into these ordered realms that, that, that God has made, God brings, God starts to fill them. And so the sky, which uh, the light and darks, rather, has been, se been, been separated, and God then starts to bring you know, so, a, a light for the night and a light for the day. Sun and moon get, get created. Uh, day number five, the sea gets filled with, uh, with fish and with all kinds of, of animals that, 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 that are in the sea. Day number six, uh, animals are made for the earth. So the realm of the earth that's been separated get, gets filled. And then day number six, oh my goodness, what happens? I mean, everything has been about all order, 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 and then almost as though there's too much order, and God says, oh, and 
Let us make people in our own image. In our own image, God said, and that's so reckless. I mean, I mean, there you go, Glenn, you're talking about the reckless love of God. This is the first reckless thing that God really did. You know, this world is so orderly, so wonderful, so great. So, so why don't we just push the limit a little bit? Because actually the trees are so compliant, and the fish are so compliant, and the sun is so compliant, and everything's so compliant. So let us make people in our own image, in our own likeness, says God. And Oh, that's when all the trouble starts. A little bit of chaos actually begins. And, and actually, as you go through Scripture, you see that there's like this perpetual dance between order and chaos. And, and I want us to look at, at John chapter 5 today as, as the dance between order and chaos. And for most people, it's about tipping them into chaos. I mean, we might think that this is about a miracle that brings order, but I'm going to suggest that this miracle of healing this man who had been sick for 38 years is primarily about bringing chaos into people's lives, but constructive chaos, the kind of chaos that you actually need. Because though we might sometimes speak about chaos as being a negative thing, actually sometimes it's the most important thing that can happen to us, and it's the way in which we really, really, really grow. So, for the man, here he is, 38 years, uh, he's been lame. And uh, if you, if we, I mean, we know a little bit of, of, of the background of, of this uh, in Beth Bethesda. I mean, we we're not quite sure of the exact circumstances, but there was a pool there. The pool had some healing powers. And once in a while, the water would just get stirred up. And when the water was stirred up, if you were the first one in, uh, you would be healed. And so you can understand why masses of people who were unwell gathered there, and their hope was always, you know, we're going to be the first one, and we're going to be healed this time around. So that's lovely. But, I mean, imagine if you had been this man. It had been 38 years. No, 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 no don't say that too quickly. 38 years, the ancient, in the ancient world, the average lifespan was somewhere between 30 to 35 years. Uh, you know, people died young. Uh, on average, people didn't have long lives, even though we sometimes say how sad it was that Jesus died probably at age 33. Actually, in terms of the time which he lived in, that, that, that was kind of average. Now, now, true, that was partly because the, those figures were skewed by so many children dying when they were very young. And if you know something about maths, averages get, get, get kind of thrown up if you've got some right, lots of early deaths as there were. But nevertheless... Uh, for someone to have been unwell for 38 years, and the passage makes it clear that he wasn't born lame, so he probably, let's just say this was while he was a teenager, he would have then been in his 50s by now at least, uh, you know, considered seriously old in the ancient world. And Jesus comes along and says, okay, so, so do you want to be healed? And while we do instinctively think, of course he wants to be healed, uh, everything is going to change for this man because he is healed. And he sees it straight away because Jesus says to him, take up your mat and walk. And the man takes up his mat and he walks. And what does he do? I mean, he finds immediately, and, and the passage just, just thrusts it right into your face. So he hasn't been working for 38 years. And it just so turns out that the first day he works in those 38 years is a day when it's illegal to work. <laughs> you know, he's just got to face that, that really straight. But for 38 years, I haven't worked. And it turns out that the first day I work, it's illegal. And he gets busted right away because there the religious leaders are. And, like, it's just immediate. You, you know, they're right, and they're in his face. So what do you think you're doing? It's a Sabbath day, don't you know? Why are you carrying your mat? You're not allowed to do that. I mean, let's be quite clear about it. On the Sabbath day, you're allowed to walk. Not very far. The Jews have very strict limits on how far you could walk in the lab on the Sabbath day, but you could walk. But carrying your mat was considered to be work. And this man, who hasn't worked for decades, is working on the Sabbath day, and they 
I mean, and, and, and he's been demanded straight away. So why did you do that? And, and he, he replies, and probably not the wisest way, but he obviously feels very defensive. So very defensively, he says, well, well, the man who healed me said that I've got to carry my mat. Don't blame me. You know, it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. I've never been responsible for the last 38 years. I haven't been responsible for anything. And the reason I'm doing this is because someone else told me to do it. Do you see how he's actually struggling, you know, with his new responsibility, wanting to blame Jesus? And so they say to him, so who is this man who told you? And he has to say, pass, I don't even know. I didn't even remember to ask what his name was. Uh, and, and, and there is, I mean, he hasn't been doing anything for ages, and he's suddenly having to defend himself. And then blow me down, Jesus goes to him. And Jesus goes to him and says, so... I just want to say, say, say to you, um, don't sin anymore, lest something worse befalls you. You, you, you. you now must live a really moral life. You now need to think about what you're doing. You're not accountable. Don't sin anymore, or yet something worse might befall you. And, and in that, that man, I wonder if he ever thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice just to be back again, not having to worry about anything, having everything done for me? It would have just been so much more convenient. But he's been thrown into the chaos of self-responsibility, thrown into the chaos of self-responsibility. Now, okay, that's the main focus, but if you really want to get a lot from the Bible, always remember, uh, you know, don't just notice the main characters. So, so often when we read the Bible, we say, so who are the main characters here? And we talk about them, think about them. Think about some of the other characters. So, so who else is thrown into chaos here? Well, I want to suggest that the religious leaders were thrown into chaos. Now, we routinely give the religious leaders a really bad press. I mean, have you ever heard someone say, uh, come and preach a sermon on why the religious leaders were really wonderful and Jesus was wrong? Have you ever heard a sermon like that? Okay, you're about to. So, here, here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pretend that I'm a religious leader, and I want to tell you the case for the, for the Jewish religious leaders. I mean, you all think that Jesus was just wonderful, you look at a miracle like this, and you think, how nice, and you think that, that I was terrible. Because I had to go to this man and say, what do you think you're doing? It's a Sabbath day. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. You, you know, that's seriously wrong. But you think that because you've forgotten that we were under Roman rule at that time. And you know the thing that we religious leaders did for our people, and we did view them as our people, and we felt a real sense of responsibility for them. We kind of negotiated an ongoing peace between the Romans, and it was a peace that was, was, was possible because we promised them absolute consistency in everything, no surprises. And, and we, we said, you know, us Jews never surprise you because we have a law, and we can tell you what the law is, and people keep to it completely. And so things like, I know you think that things like the Sabbath law are a bit of a joke, but for us, they, they, they're like the backbone of our life. It meant that we could go to the Romans and we could say, listen, you will never have this happen to you. You will never have that happen to you. You will find on a Sabbath day that these things will never take place. You can know in advance there will be no surprises for you. And with that, the Romans were actually reasonably settled. And you know what? We were even allowed. As Jews, we were allowed to say, you know, you know, everywhere else in the empire, they had to say, Caesar is Lord. But we managed to negotiate that, that we didn't have to say that blasphemy because we were allowed to just say only Yahweh is Lord. And they accepted that because us religious leaders, who you all think are so terrible, were very wise and we negotiated really well for our people. So when you kind of say to me, so why weren't you happy that this man was healed? What I say is, of course I was happy he was healed. I was just very unhappy about the way in which it was done. Because you answer me these four little questions. So 
when was this man healed? Now, you're probably going to say on the Sabbath day, but first of all, notice that that's not the key answer. The first thing to notice is this man was healed on a Jewish religious festival. That's what the passage says. Just, 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 just look. Uh, verse, verse, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Thank you. He was joined with tens of thousands of other people who went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Do you know that Jerusalem used to swell in, in population size 25 times during those, those, those festivals? Usually it was just a quiet little place of about 25,000 people. Came the festivals, it was like well over half a million people were there. I mean, there were people just bursting out everywhere. It was absolute chaos at the religious festivals. And so for us Jewish leaders, it was a time of great danger because the Roman soldiers would be looking and they would be everywhere and they'd want to see, is this a peaceful time? So when does this take place? It takes place during a Jewish religious festival. Number two, what day of the week does it take place? The Sabbath, the Sabbath, okay. Why couldn't it happen on Tuesday? Why couldn't it happen on Wednesday? I mean, how long had this man been, been sick for? He'd been lame for 38 years. I would have had no objection if Jesus had healed him on a nice wet Wednesday. That would have been absolutely fine. But he's got to choose the Sabbath. Do you see how provocative he actually is? It's a festival. Everyone's watching. Everyone's seeing what's happening. It's a Sabbath day. And, and like everyone knows you're not allowed to work the, on, on the Sabbath. And tell me, what, what does he tell Jesus to do? Question number three, what does he tell Jesus to do? Does he say to Jesus, walk? Yes, he does say to Jesus, walk, and that's not a problem. If you just say to Jesus, walk, fine, because you actually are allowed to walk on the Sabbath day. What does he actually say to Jesus? Question number four, take up your mat and walk. Take up your mat. I beg your pardon. That is, I mean, why does the man have to pick up his mat? I mean, does he think us Jews are a bunch of thieves? I mean, the mat didn't have to be picked up. It could lie exactly where it was. You were not allowed to pick up your mat on a Sabbath day. It just had to lie there. And no one would have stolen it because us Jews are actually very honest people. And, and, and I mean, to, to steal it would be much worse than breaking the Sabbath. So he didn't have to pick up his mat. He just had, Jesus just had to say to him, walk. You're healed. It's okay. But he says, take up your mat and walk. And that's the challenge. And for us Jewish leaders, we knew that he was coming to us and he was saying to us, so there. You can take your Sabbath laws and that's what I think of them. And thank you for all the work that you have done in brokering this peace with the Romans. Now you will see that actually ordinary people just flaunt us Jewish leaders, pay no respect to us, and that we can't actually be trusted. Of course we had to act against Jesus. What do you think of that? Where does that lead you? Do you think they've got a case? I mean, I don't, did, did, did you watch the, the Harry and Meghan interview? And kind of like in the, 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 the royal one, where, where were you? I probably shouldn't ask you this. This, is, this has kind of just been wrong. But how many of you were for the royal family, the crown? Oh, come on, be honest. Tell me, how, you were some, how many of you were for Harry and Meghan? You're so scared. There's not a right or wrong answer. It's just interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you watch these things and you say, so whose side is it? Whose side am I on? And, 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 and actually, you listen to this one. Now, I don't think that I'll give it to the religious leaders, but they've got a bit more of a case than you might actually think, don't they? And if you put yourself into their shoes, you, you realize, well, Jesus was just so annoying. I mean, he just wouldn't keep quiet. And he just did... 
Like, as I said, it would have been fine if it was just a wet Wednesday that he'd done it on, but it had to be religious festival, Sabbath, and he had to get him to pick up his mat as well. And all of that was just this provocation to the religious, or they would have said it's a provocation uh, to, 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 to the Romans. So, so what happens for them? Do you see how their world is thrown into chaos? And Jesus is basically saying to them, so you've got all the stability and you think that life is so ordered. And I come along and I say, but where are your deepest priorities? What actually matters the most? Is it about this law and keeping everything in order? Or is it about someone being deeply healed and about everything changing? And their ordered little existence suddenly is plunged into chaos and they have to think again. And, and incidentally, don't be too quick to decide, you know, what they do. We, as I say, we always are very negative about the religious leaders, but let's remember that actually the New Testament tells us that many of the religious leaders and the Pharisees were actually converted in the end. So some of them get converted, some of them don't. Some of them decide Jesus is right, some of them don't. Uh, this, these particular Pharisees who came, came and challenged Jesus, who knows where they ultimately landed up? Who knows? The man's life is thrown into chaos. The religious leader's life is thrown into chaos. Hey, what about this third category of people who are there? Did you spot them? Uh, as you actually go into the passage, just, just, just have a look at it. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there's in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So, here's my question. You are one of the blind, you are one of the lame, you are one of the paralyzed, and Jesus comes, and he's walking through, and he chooses one person, and it's not you, and it's not you. So where does that leave you? If you're one of the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and Jesus, the Messiah who loves everyone, comes and he chooses this man, but ignores you. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's one of the, the real questions in Scripture, isn't it? You know, why does God pick particular people and others just have to carry on in their circumstances? And maybe sometimes you've felt some of the pain of that. You, 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 you might have heard, you, maybe you needed a miracle in some, some way. Maybe you needed to be healed and you know that other people have been healed and it wasn't you. Maybe you've had a marriage that's been extraordinarily difficult and you have just prayed and prayed and you've seen other people's marriages have been healed but it wasn't yours. Maybe you need a job and you pray and you pray and you pray for it and other people get jobs and it's not you. And, and, and how does that leave you? Where does that leave you? I mean, how did it leave these people? Jesus comes, does this miracle. They wanted one as well, but Jesus doesn't choose them. And, and it really is a very, very, very complex question, isn't it? I mean, it's, you, you, you find again in, in Scripture in Acts chapter 12. Do you, do you remember Acts chapter 12? It's this extraordinary account where where Peter's in prison, he's probably going to be executed the next day, and God does this extraordinary miracle and saves him and rescues him from, from, from prison. But if you read Acts chapter 12, verse 1, we are told that Mark, uh, sorry, that James has just been executed and beheaded by the sword. And you say, so, so James is beheaded and Peter is rescued. Why Peter, not James? Pass, don't know, don't know. One of the most uh, poignant days in, in the years in which I've been pastoring, my very, very, very first church where I pastored, Stellenbosch Baptist Church. We used to have a nighttime service. It was, a, it was Stellenbosch, a university town, and was largely full with students at night. 
Uh, we had a very informal service. I would sing a little bit, I'd talk a little bit, but people would also just share what God had been doing for them. And in that kind of relaxed setting, people were very open, very honest about struggles, hopes, joys, and, and, and the rest of it. So, so one Sunday, um, one of the, the students there, Justine, she, she, she comes into the nighttime service. She actually arrives late, so she hasn't heard what's been going on in the service up until then, but we've just started our open sharing time. And as we begin it, Justine jumps up straight away and she said, I just want to thank God for, for, for rescuing my mom. And, uh, and, and she tells this, this extraordinary uh, true story that just happened earlier on that day. Her mom had been driving, and as she was driving along, uh, there was this kind of truck, and it had some poles in it. And for some, some reason, somehow, one of the poles just broke loose and kind of like shot out almost like a spear and smashed through her windscreen, just so narrowly missing her. But she lost complete control of the, of the car as this kind of this pole just comes flying through a front window. Car went skidding everywhere and then just came to a halt. And apparently, as her mom stepped out, she kind of looked and 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 her car was literally like about that far from quite a steep cliff. It had just gone just that little bit further. It would have been all over. And then she actually looked at the skid marks, and there was this huge power pole that was there. And again, as you looked at the skid marks through, she had just missed that pole by just like just the, the smallest part that you could possibly imagine. And Justine said, you know, she just wanted to thank God because it's been so extraordinarily close. But in actual fact, other than being shaken, her mom was completely fine. Other than being shaken, her mom was completely fine. And, you know, she was, she was praising God. Now, now normally at Stanwash, if someone had shared something like that, we would all have been high-fiving and jumping up and very enthusiastic. It was an extraordinary story, a wonderful story. But, but that night, people were just very subdued and very like, oh, that's, that's lovely, that, that, that's good. And, and the reason was, and Justine didn't know that, but uh, earlier on in the service, I'd had to let people know that a very dearly loved member of our congregation, Francine, Francine Laurie, had been killed in a car accident uh, you know, just a few hours before. She had been visiting her grandchild, who had just been born a couple of days before, was driving back, and from nowhere, this car just smashed and turned. That was it. She had been killed. And, and you could just see everyone there that night. I mean, the congregation was reeling by Francine's death. And people just like, can't, can't quite process this. You know, why, why Justine's mom and not Francine? Don't know. Pass. Just, just don't know. Why, why this man healed and everyone else just left there? It throws us into a little bit of chaos, doesn't it? And you have to also ask really big questions of yourself. So if I'm the person who's not healed, if I'm the person who doesn't get the job, if I'm the person whose marriage doesn't come right, if I'm the person who, whatever it is, can I still follow the instruction of Romans 12 to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep? Can I, can I do that? I mean, it throws me into the chaos of, you know, if it doesn't happen for me, can I still be really glad for those for whom it does happen? Can I celebrate for them? Can I see the goodness of God there? It's... It's a chaos producing, it's not a bad chaos, but it is a deep penetrating chaos, isn't it? It, it? it causes us to grow in the way in which Jesus often throws us into chaos, but it's not, it's not negative chaos. It's about growing up and knowing more about him and loving him more and coming to a deeper relationship with him. One last thing and, 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 and then I'll finish. The miracle throws the man into chaos the miracle throws the religious leaders into chaos. The miracle throws the people who just 
watching and who were wanting to build themselves into chaos. But the miracle seriously throws Jesus into chaos. The miracle seriously throws Jesus into chaos. Did, did, did you see it there? Uh, here we are, John chapter 5. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And was that a good defense? For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, my. And if you actually look at John's gospel, you find until John chapter 5. So, so, so John 1, 2, 3, 4, Jesus does a number of miracles, and Jesus' ministry going really well. And everyone's really approving of him, and everyone thinks that Jesus is wonderful. But from John chapter 5 onwards, you, you start to sense the shadow of the cross. And the talk begins of the death and the ultimate crucifixion of Jesus. In other words, Jesus performs this extraordinary miracle for this man, calls him to maturity, calls him to healing. But ultimately, the chaos that it brings for Jesus is the chaos of the cross. Was that a negative chaos? Best chaos ever. Healing of the world, the redemption of the world. Order and chaos. Sometimes into our very ordered life, God comes and he says, I'm going to just tip you into something that's not necessarily very comfortable, but it will be really good. It will be really good and really good things can come from it. So don't be afraid of the chaos that God might sometimes bring into your life. And yes, sometimes when there's been too much chaos, God brings order. Because God has this little dance, this dance between chaos, order, chaos, order, back, forth, back, forth. But it is always so that somehow we are more significant people. And so I think what I'm wanting to say today is that wherever your life is, if there's a little bit too much order, don't be afraid of a little bit of chaos. And if there's a bit too much chaos, God brings order as well. And he might bring order for you. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you that ultimately you know what you're doing. Sometimes we're confused. Sometimes we're not even that, that confident. But thank you that you are Lord of the universe and that we can trust you. And Lord, just especially want to pray for, for anyone here who today just feels, don't know what's happening, feels out of control, life's not going the way that I expect. Lord, won't you just reassure them that in their chaos, you are working. And Lord, if some of us are having a bit too much order, we welcome you to move again and to help us to follow you more closely. Amen. Amen.